The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. When it comes to content creation, Fox has to live up to Super in Super Bowl. You know, not just for streaming, not just for, for video content, increase over the last three years into the double digits. So it's it's a little bit of both. I feel like with TikTok, the world keeps getting shorter, and with Twitch, the world keeps getting longer. So uh, I think that fans' interests are, are diverting a little bit. That's Michael Buckland, Vice President, Content of Social and Digital at Fox Sports. Over the next two weeks, in his world, it's Jumanji. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Chiefs and 49ers are taking their talents to South Beach, and Fox is ready for the big show, or shows, These days, it isn't just people crowding around TVs to watch the biggest American sporting event on earth. And Michael Buckland's going to take us through building a giant content catalog around the biggest game of the year. As for the future of content, who are you betting on winning the consumers? Corey Leff runs the popular site John Wall Street, and he'll give you a trader mentality to this era of sports. But first, the future is now. Super Bowl is right around the corner, and for collectors, there's something to note if you are going. It's the last time you're going to be able to use paper tickets to get into the game. Dan Kaplan from The Athletic joins us now. So technology is changing collectibles here. Um, What's the reaction that you're hearing from people about this change? Well, let's be clear. The NFL is likely to go all mobile at the Super Bowl for the next Super Bowl. They didn't quite clearly tell me in my story on the athletic that they absolutely would but they made it they pretty much made it clear they that's the direction they are going the reaction i got is people disappointed they won't have the real commemorative tickets i know the league will have mementos for for fans who you know want that sort of thing but the the real hard ticket that you use to get into the game that's going to be a thing of the past um why are they doing this why have they decided to go this direction well, clearly we all know about data collection, easier to track who's in the stadium in the area in the era of you know mass fear and security issues, knowing who's in the stadium is uh, is a bigger and bigger issue. It also clearly gives the league more control over the secondary sale of these tickets. Um, so do you anticipate that this is something that's going to become commonplace throughout the NFL, or is this just because of this uh, wide scale event? No, it, the NFL has a big push to go all mobile. Uh, they, uh, ten of their teams this season, this past season, were all mobile. Uh, they expect six more to join those ranks uh, in the upcoming season, so that would be half of the NFL. The other 16 does, doesn't mean they're not doing mobile, just, just means that they offer uh, a paper ticket option. So the league is really pushing for an all mobile solution for all of its teams. 
Um, let's talk about the benefits for the league for a moment. And you kind of mentioned it, which is data collection. Um, can you get a sense of, of what they think the opportunity is by going in this direction technologically? Well, they told me they got one million new names over the last season. Uh, data names. These are people who had tickets transferred to them, or maybe people who had tickets transferred to them from people who, who had tickets transferred to them. If you get my drift, it was transferred yeah. three different times. Um, so these were people that previously would have might have had a hard ticket or bought a, a ticket on a secondary site not affiliated with the NFL. Now the NFL knows uh, who who has that ticket, and so that was one million new names they put in their database, and they can uh, they can promote to, market to, uh, send promotions to. Uh, so that that's a big win for the for the NFL. But don't discount the security issue. Uh, again, mass fear, terrorism fears, knowing who's in your stadium. The league told me this year they knew 30% of the fans sitting in the stadiums. Uh, that's up from 15% the year before. It's a brave new world. For us, for me, the old person, I like the ticket. I want them to send me something. I hope that in the end they figure out a way to send me something that commemorates attending something like that. Uh, they'll they'll send you something. Uh, we'll we'll be we'll we'll have to see if it's the you know the same quality paper stock uh, uh, of the the one you have now. But they'll they'll send something. It just it's just not the same as having the ticket that actually got you into the event. Dan Kaplan's watching it for the athletic. Thanks so much, Dan. All right, thank you. Up next, Michael Buckland from Fox Sports as the digital side arms itself with a mountain of Super Bowl content. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Our guest this week is Michael Buckland, who's the Vice President of Content for Social and Digital at Fox Sports, and their marquee event is coming up, Super Bowl 54 from Miami. Hey, Michael, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, You may not know the answer to this, or maybe you do. How much content do you guys produce for an event like the Super Bowl? Oh, man. Uh, It's going to be probably more than we can count. We looked at uh, November, which is a pretty uh, event-heavy month, and I think we had 9,000 different pieces of content. (laughs) I would say for uh, for the Super Bowl, geez, you know, we're, we're going to be around that 4,000 mark just for that event, I think. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, what type of content do the fans want these days? What are they looking for? That's a good question. I think that they're looking for uh, content that, that they want to interact with. So uh, content that, that is going to, you know, uh, cause them some sort of reaction, whether they just learned something, whether something just made them happy, whether it surprises and delights them or informs them or... You know, it's something that they can then share with their friends as, as a way of showing their fandom. You know, I mean, if you like LSU and, and you're not sharing, you know, Joe Burrow smoking that cigar at the game, <laughs> and, and you're not really an LSU fan, I don't think. So um, <clears throat> I also think they like live content. You know, we see uh, the most of our consumption is still happening in the live window, whether, whether it's on TV, whether it's a live stream, whether it's social media that's, that's produced live during events. But people love to be part of that sort of, live sports bar if you will that 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 live conversation that's happening while they're watching tv and and is it video driven is that what people want i mean i I think that uh when it comes to very quick uh 
snackable, uh, digestible, you know, we see a lot of people swiping, right? A lot of people are swiping up and down the timeline, they're reading a lot of tweets, uh, <clears throat> they're reading short form. But something that I think people would be surprising, uh, especially when it comes to video, is that when people have five minutes, ten minutes, they're going to spend that five, ten minutes watching a clip. Uh, and we've seen our, our time spent viewing per video and overall, you know, not just for streaming, not just for, for video content, increase over the last three years in, 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 to the tune of double digits. So it's it's a little bit of both. I feel like with TikTok, the world keeps getting shorter, and with Twitch, the world keeps getting longer. So uh, I think that fans' interests are uh, diverting a little bit. You know, th- that's really interesting because, you know, everyone's painted with a broad brush, especially millennials and the younger generation as well, that they don't want to they don't want to really interact with anything that's longer 30 seconds 60 seconds but what you're suggesting is that the trend is going a different direction now yeah look you see people like ninja and these other you know gamers that that are they're streaming for eight hours and they have diehard fans you know and and we see these numbers and they're they're hard to believe um but in our world where that translates is live event viewing you know we we watch people um you know again like streaming live events to their mobile devices is increasing double digits and has for the last three years. Um, but beyond that, you know, I look at things we do like for, for boxing, you know, we're streaming fighters like Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman, the moment they leave their hotel to the moment they enter the ring. And we're seeing people, that's a four and a half hour stream. We're seeing people stick with us for two and a half hours. That's amazing. Um, so in terms of access, because if you are going to show things like that, um, has that changed? Are athletes, teams, leagues, are they more open to this idea that access really matters? Yes, I think so. Um, it's core to uh, what we believe. You know, we want to provide experiences for fans that you know, we're very lucky. We're Fox Sports. I think we have more live event programming and more live events on our air than, than anyone else. And, and our ability to bring people as close to those events is, is it's a, it's a wow experience for a fan when you get to, you know, sit in that car with Manny Pacquiao and ride from his hotel to, to where he's going to box. Um, <clears throat> I think when it comes to the Super Bowl, you know, which we have coming up, we go back to last year, you know, like anyone else, we got we got that credential. When it's our air, we have even better access. But, you know, we got Tom Brady walking out of the locker room, you know, shouting at different teammates, um, telling them, look what I just found, you know, with, with the Lombardi Trophy in his hand. So, I think we want to take fans to those places where they just always dream they could go, you know, behind the scenes, on the sideline. We have this kind of cool thing I'm pretty proud of called Fox Field Pass where we hire students at different uh, universities to uh, shoot content basically right behind the pylon or as close to the sideline as possible so we can get the unique angles uh, uh, even closer uh, to the action. And so I, I'm a big believer in access and people love it. I think it just provides that, that fresh angle that uh, the people aren't used to getting, and it kind of feels instead of like you're behind this, you know, expensive camera. It kind of feels like you're standing there on the sideline, or you're standing there with Pacquiao, or you're standing there with Tom Brady, and maybe in a place that you shouldn't be, right? Um, I'm curious, you know, with all of, of what's happening now and all the engagement and the ways they are engaging, there is still the traditional broadcast of the games that you guys have throughout the year and all the other events that you have, and of course, the Super Bowl. And largely, while there are a lot of advancements, you know, especially in AI and stat production and all that type of stuff, the games are the games. They, they look pretty similar to what they looked like in the past, just with graphic enhancements. Um, with what you've seen with engagement in digital and social, do you think that the actual game broadcasts, and this is probably very sport by sport, will alter to 
look more like what people are accustomed to in your space? You know, I think that there'll be some adjustments. I, I think that there are constant adjustments. You know, I, I, you know, first and foremost, I think live events is going to continue uh, to, to be the most valuable and, and stable sort of piece of this industry, right? Um, and, and we're going to continue to focus on it. But <clears throat> as we, we focus on live events, you know, how can we bring some of those fresh angles, um, some of those, uh, you know, I'm watching last night, right, like everyone else, and I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing cameras on referees' helmets, which uh, just looks like a person that's standing in the middle of, of play with, with, a, with a cell phone. Um, you know, we've seen, obviously, the, the emergence of, of pylon cam, and, um, you know, Fox has, has been pretty good at these little enhancements over the years. You know, I'm, I'm always uh, impressed when I'm in a room with someone who, you know, remembers back when there wasn't a, a, a scorebook on TV, <laughs> you know, which we call here the Fox box that, that Fox debuted. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed when someone recalls when they invented the, the yellow line, right, like the original uh, ARVR, I suppose. Um, so I think that you're, the cool thing about technology is it just brings you closer to the action or it helps you better understand the action. And, uh, you know, do I think it's going to look tall like a cell phone? Um, you know, maybe in bits and pieces, but, but I think the 16 by 9 experience will just keep getting amplified by content that, that helps you better understand it and maybe brings you a little closer to it. How are you guys looking at um, gambling as it proliferates throughout the country? What is the priority and in initiatives at Fox when that becomes maybe more commonplace throughout the country than it is right now? Well, we're very proud of you. We, we took a pretty strong, aggressive position um, by working with the Stars Group, who, you know, famous for, for Poker Stars, but Skybet, and, and now the latest partnership is, is Foxbet. Um, you know, there's, there's a pretty big uh, line of sand. That, that, you know, hey, this is this is where we're at now. We're we're, we're fully in with the bank, you know, so to speak. Um, <clears throat> and Foxbet is the exclusive provider of odds for Fox, uh, Fox Sports, and uh, we try to integrate them into uh, as much as we can. You know, we we want to proceed with caution. We know only two states, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, are uh, are legalized at this point. But um, you know, you're going to see it in shows that are on our air. Uh, you know, there's, there's hardly a show that you'll watch at Fox that, that doesn't have some reference to, to odds uh, that are brought to you by Foxbet. Uh, I think you're going to see it uh, take a bigger part in the various products that we build. You're going to see us building content around it. You know, in addition to the Foxbet app, we have the Fox Sports Super Six, uh, which is essentially a you know six bet parlay um, that you know for the casual. Uh, invested fan that's not ready to put money in or isn't in a legalized state. Like, it's a nice free way to play. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of how we, we were so aggressive in jumping into this space, and I just think you'll see us do more and more over time as, as fans get more comfortable with it. Um, you had mentioned a couple platforms earlier. Um, where do you see that going? Where Where is your content finding life these days? Sure. So we have a diversified approach here. Um you know, everything really revolves around that live event, right? So that live event, it's either on TV or it's, it's on the Fox Sports app or, or foxsports.com or on various uh, streaming platforms. And, and, and then we want to reach different fans in different spaces. Obviously, the fan who's on uh, YouTube might be very different from the fan who's on, uh, you know, Twitter, from, from, from TikTok, from Instagram. Um, and so we deploy different strategies on these different social media platforms. We're, we're currently mostly invested in Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, that's for a variety of reasons. We like the audiences there. We appreciate the scale that we've we've built there. We have really good partnerships, you know, on, on those platforms. So with Twitter, you know, two years ago we we entered a pretty significant partnership with them for the Men's World Cup. 
um, to bring every goal to you in under five minutes. And, and we had a live show every single day from Red Square. Uh, and that coverage won an Emmy. We're like, very proud of that. And we ran that back in, in uh, France this past summer with the women's tournament. And, and again, we brought every goal to you in under five minutes. And that sort of speed and that, that, that nature of live, right? Like we're going to bring you something in real time, every single goal in, in such a short period of time so that you can follow live. That's pretty unique to our partnership <clears throat> with Twitter. And I think it's unique to Twitter and the type of platform they are, right? Very live platform. Whereas if you look at what we're doing on a platform like Facebook, it's a little bit more uh, talent-driven. It's a little bit longer form, right? We're, we're keeping most of that programming above 10 minutes. Uh, this year we had a, a partnership with them in which for the first time we brought the Fox NFL Sunday guys to, to the social space. You know, Terry, Howie, uh, Michael, and, and gang, you know, had, had their own exclusive uh, Facebook show this year. Um, <clears throat> and then I think you look at, at YouTube and, you know, we try not to put anything on there that's not you know, above 12 minutes, right? So they're all they're all different consumption patterns, and, and we certainly keep our eyes on the new ones. Um, you know, we certainly have our eyes on TikTok, and it's a completely different way to produce content. It's a completely different fan base, and, you know, if we make that leap, we just want to do it in a smart way. You know, like, I, you've been doing this a long time for various networks. I've worked in this field for a long time, and, and it wasn't that long ago that this felt, at least from my perspective as someone who was on air, that this was very Wild West, that kind of nobody really knew where to go. Um, do, do you get a sense now that, that, that you have a better understanding of where you need to be, or are we still kind of in this nebulous space where we'll find out where people are, are literally going to watch things? I really think it depends. Well, it, it, I think it depends on what your business model looks like, right? If you're using these platforms just for marketing, then you're going to use the platforms that allow you to target the fan that you think is best you know, uh, for you. Uh, if you're in this business, to, like we are, to actually run a business off this, then you're going to not just look at a fan and where the fan consumes content, but you're also going to look at uh, where you can see an ROI on your investment. And, you know, I think that in, in those first years, uh, when it did, it definitely felt Wild West, uh, probably, probably years where, where you and I worked at the same company, you know, we were early innovators, but we weren't making money, you know, and, and we weren't. We were serving fans, but we weren't serving our company very well. Uh, nobody was, you know. And and now I, I think that I still don't think that you know. I think we've only begun to monetize this content, and this engagement uh, at, at a very small rate. You know, we're nowhere near the true potential here. Um, but I think it's interesting as people adjust their approach from just hey, we have to be there because that's where the fans are. You know, we got to fish where the fish are. To actually turning businesses out of these things. And as these streams become more digital that direct relationship with fans in the digital space is only going to be more and more important in our, our connection with them on these platforms uh, to then serve them um, those streams or, or additional VOD content or potentially subscription services uh, like our pay-per-view for, for PBC. That relationship on those platforms is just that much more important. So I still don't think we've reached anything near our potential, um, but I am really proud to see we've kind of grown out of the Wild West a little bit uh, we have real skill, real talent, uh, and we have real business models now. All right, let's get back to the Super Bowl here uh, before I let you go. Um, is there anything specific you want fans to know about that's going to be new this year that's coming out of Super Bowl 54 that you want to turn their attention to? You know, I think that Super Bowl is, is the biggest event of the year. You know, it's the biggest event, um, not just in sports, it's the biggest event that um, that happens. <laughs> and, you know, there's going to be 100-plus million people paying attention, and as as 
something we do at Fox is we like to produce big events and we like to make those events even bigger. And I, I think that's what you're going to see us do. I think you're going to see us bring a village to Miami. I think you're going to see us with the biggest, boldest, most amazing set on the beach. I think that you're going to see us have a big, bold presence at Radio Row. I think you're going to see, you know, we're rolling out something I'm pretty proud of, the, the Party Patrol, which is uh, essentially an ENG crew that's, that's going to be attending all the different events in Miami. You're going to have another crew that's roaming, that's, that's looking for uh, access with the athletes that are actually playing the game. Um, and we're going to prepare for every possible situation once that game starts. You know, we'll have plans for every possible, you know, MVP scenario, um, every statistical milestone and accomplishment. You're going to see us have plans for, for every possible result. Um, and so I think that more than anything, you know, it, you're, you're going to see Fox make this thing much bigger and cover it from every single angle uh, and make the Super Bowl even even bigger. All right, last thing for you, I want you to settle um, an, age, an age-old, well, we'll see if it's fact or myth, because this is one of those things that gets talked about in sports forever, and I'm curious, since you are in this position to answer this question, if you will answer it honestly. Let's find out. Does it matter who the teams are that play in an event this big? Market size, brand name, et cetera, does it matter? <laughs> well, look, I'm not a ratings expert on TV. I can tell you how it's going to affect us in the digital space. Yeah. Uh, I do think, uh, in some way, it, it, it matters. Um, you know, we are we are very eager to see a uh, Packers Chiefs or, or perhaps a, a Niners Chiefs. Um, but uh, I think star power is, is probably as big of a part of that. And I will approach it. I'm sorry not to be able to answer your TV uh, <laughs> version of this question, but from a uh, <clears throat> from a, a digital perspective, um, there are some fan bases that are significantly more engaged uh, than other fan bases. Um, uh, if you ever do anything around uh, around the Browns in the digital space, you'll learn that very quick. Hmm. Michael Buckland is the Vice President of Content for Social and Digital at Fox Sports. Thank you, Michael. Hi, Brent. Thanks, man. Up next, the modern era has turned the business of sports into a stock market. Corey Leff from John Wall Street looks for winners. This is the Future Sport Podcast. So let's take a minute here to thank our friends at 3Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers, but that's not all. They've helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups like Team Builder, T-Box Tour, and In-Game Fantasy. But they're also experts in user experience, cloud APIs, and artificial intelligence. So if you're looking for a dev partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen. At Advance, you will. That's the number 3advance.com. And tell them Future Sport sent you. Our guest this week is Corey Leff, who founded the newsletter John Wall Street that has just become part of the Sports Illustrated vertical. It covers the sports industry and the sports business industry as well. Thanks for joining us, Corey. Great to have you here. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, What was the purpose behind starting this? What got you into it? 
So it's funny. Originally, the, I was working in equity research at the time and institutional sales. And the idea behind John Wall Street initially was going to be content marketing to sell equity research. If Madison Square Garden, uh, excuse me, if Kevin Durant had tore his Achilles, as he did, um, and Madison Square Garden networks were to drop by 8%, I could explain why those two things were tied together and then sell a $2,500 equity research report with, uh, you know, in-depth financial modeling, et cetera. Uh, I think it's still a good model, a still a viable business model, but it's not exactly where John Wall Street's going because the audience I built uh, wasn't the institutional investor that I kind of envisioned. It was the sports executive, the kind of the who's who of the sports world. Um, and so I just started, instead of writing about what I considered to be the uh, sports side of the finance space, I started covering what I like to call the finance side of the sports space. And, and I think there's a little bit of a difference there. So let me go back to the original intent then um, I'm with you. So one of the things that you talked about as an example would be something that would be potentially foreseen but completely unforeseen. You don't know that Kevin Durant is going to tear his Achilles tendon. So could you kind of back up to how having that information in real time would help an institutional investor? Um, it wasn't necessarily that I was looking to uh, – let me back that up even a little bit. The idea, of, uh, generally speaking, MSG is probably not the best example. It was just an easy example for yeah. me to give. Um, a lot of the sports-related uh, equities are – uh, undercovered by the street, and that's either because they're not big enough, they don't trade enough, etc. Um, so I thought there was an opportunity to cover names that were not getting a lot of you know regular news coverage on the street, and and kind of just put them into some uh, into some context as to what was going on. And then it developed into what it is now. And can you kind of take us through how you saw that development occur? Yeah. Um, so. Really early on, um, I started to get. Uh, I linked up with Joe Fav. Are you are you, are you familiar with Joe Fav? Yeah, Joe? I know Joe. Not, yeah, yeah. Sign up for Joe's newsletter. Uh, Joe is uh, he's he's the man, and uh, he knows everybody. For for those who really don't know, he is a major sports PR guru. He is. He yes. Is. And yep. So I linked up with Joe really early on. Uh, he introduced me to just a couple high profile PR people, um, which ended up resulting in some high profile interviews which resulted in some high-profile readership, and it just became very cyclical. Um, it, you know, important people started to read, which gave me access to important people uh, and, in, in, and insight into, uh, you know, timely and topical stories, uh, which allowed me to put out better content, which resulted in better people reading, more influential people, and, and like I said, uh, it's kind of snowballed from there. Let's talk about the business of sports in general. Can you give an, an overview of where we are? Is it good? Is it, is it flatlined? What is the business of sports right now? Sports, the business of sports right now is super exciting, uh, and uh, no, absolutely, is not flatlined. Uh, between you know the rise of, of OTT, which is uh, and, and all of these other you know media platforms, which are going to continue to grow the value of media rights, uh, the influx of uh, legalized gambling, and all the money pouring into that space. Uh, sports tech, as you had mentioned early, uh, you know, just before we jumped on the call and all the private equity money uh, that's rolling into that space. So, no, I certainly, uh, this is a really exciting time for sports business, and it's probably one of the reasons why John Wall Street has worked. Um, you know, teams are now selling for $2 billion. These are, uh, you know, large corporations. Uh, you know, maybe 20 years ago, these same teams were selling for $200 million. Yeah. Um, You know, it's a, it's a drastic difference in the business of sports. 
Uh, I want to focus in on some of the tech stuff with you in a moment, but let me touch on some of those other topics there. Um, media rights is an interesting um, dynamic with the fractured universe that we're in. Um, where do you see it going? Do, do you believe that, that the major rights will remain in linear television, or, or do you foresee in the near future that altering? No, I think meteorites, uh, most of the money is still going to be from television. Uh, you know, television is still uh, is still driving this thing. T- the, t- the TV networks still need these rights to keep people as subscribers. The, you know, and, and I don't think that the technology is there. Uh, you know, the NFL has talked about this. The technology isn't there on the, to handle 25 million streamers concurrently at 4 o'clock on Sunday. So the NFL isn't going to, uh, you know, exclusive digital, you know, anytime soon. And, and I don't think any other leagues either. And I should, I should clarify that yeah. when I say exclusive, I, I mean, you know, on a large package. Sure, there may be some, you know, small, uh, you know, cutouts that, that are, are given to a digital network. But, uh, you know, generally speaking, that, that, that one, you know, that one o'clock or four o'clock game on Sunday is, is not going to a digital player. And so, you know, we're, we're looking at things like Google and Amazon and all these players that might come into this at some point and, and take over these types of rights. And you had mentioned OTTs as well. And I wonder if you see the direction going that each league is going to have their own, that each team may have their own, that conferences may have their own. Where, where do you see all of that heading right now? That's, you know, that's a really good question. I think it's pretty unclear. Um, I do. I, I certainly don't think that teams are going to all have their own, uh, you know, controller, all of their own media rights, certainly not at the NFL. Um, I, you know, obviously um, in, in baseball teams are going to get their local media rights back. Uh, so it's going to be, it, you know, it, we're going to see a kind of a, a mix you know what teams are able to go direct what leagues are able to go direct Um, but generally speaking i do think that just about every team will eventually have some semblance of an over-the-top product uh just because there's a demand for this kind of content and you're starting to see it in europe i i want to say it's like manchester united uh you can pay like 2.99 a month or something nominal and get you know behind the scene behind the scenes exclusive content uh you can get interviews and and that kind of stuff and it's not live game footage um i think you may get some replays and so forth but yeah uh, the idea is that if you're a manchester united fanatic and you can't get enough uh there's another another avenue for you yeah i I mean listen if they just got a fraction of their fan base to sign up for what would be a nominal fee they're easily covering whatever it is and their messaging can be controlled no doubt. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Uh, you're starting to see it, um, like I said, in Europe, and, and we'll see that here yeah. short, in, in short order. Um, let's get into some of the tech stuff. Um, where, you see mo- where do you see most of the investment going? Where are teams most interested in tech? That's a good question. Um, I, teams, I, I don't know that it's team-driven. Uh, it's investor-driven. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that teams are, are really, you know— yeah, like I, I would say that most of the stuff is in like the, you know, the gambling space. Obviously, like, a lot of gambling tech related. Um, you're seeing a lot of performance related, like wearable related type stuff. Um, but uh, to be honest with you, yeah, like I said, I think this is everybody's looking for the next unicorn, and I'm not sure that there is a unicorn in sports tech. And and uh, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that the returns aren't going to be there for all the money that's being poured into that space. Are you talking about gambling or other spaces? Because I'm with you if you're talking about gambling. I, I think generally speaking, you know, just the whole thing, there is no Uber in the sports tech space. <laughs> yeah. You know, I thought that one might be, I'll see if you agree with this, I thought that one might be virtual reality. 
um, with the opportunity to place you in arenas in certain spaces and give you different viewpoints, but that has not materialized yet. Yeah, no, I have. I was never a real believer uh, on virtual reality. I don't get it. Um, it's certainly not viable if you have to wear some sort of headset. Uh, again, I, I don't think the technology is there. Uh, maybe you know, in concept, that sounds great uh, to be able to have, you know, an inner in arena, you know, view. Um, but even I had recently seen something that Major League Baseball put out that was pretty cool, um, and it was just on a, a trial basis, but. Uh, Basically, it was a field-level view, a 360-degree uh, or 180-degree, or excuse me, uh, you know, field-level view uh, of a playoff game, and that's it. Was a cool look. Uh, you felt like you were in the ballpark, but I'm not sure that I want to watch a whole baseball broadcast. That, and, and I think that's part of the problem too. Uh, there's a novelty effect. I'm not sure that it's it's you know it's replacing the standard you know standard broadcast yeah I, I would say that the the only uber that's happened in sports in the last 30 years is fantasy would you would you agree with that i mean yeah i mean fantasy has obviously been huge uh in terms of technologies you can talk about things like you know the first down line and such that's changed the the viewing experience but yeah um i would agree with that the broadcast the the sports broadcast is the same as it's been since 1950 it's yeah. two guys in a box and a high angle cam like it's there has been very, very little, uh, if any, uh, progress in that space. And I think that's why people are excited about these alternative broadcasts and such, because like, it, it is, it's just people are ready for something different. Um, but at the same time, we haven't found anything better. So people continue to go back to the former player and, and you know, play-by-play guy and we call the game. Yeah, I guess, you know, and even whenever someone does come up with whatever that broadcast um, alteration is that modernizes it, it can just be replicated. There's no Uber in that. Everybody could do it if it was popular. Absolutely. Um, you know, like I love those coaches' rooms, but there's no, there's nothing proprietary about Yeah. Them. So you guys joined um, Sports Illustrated. Can you talk about the decision to take John Wall Street there? Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, it was, for me, always the goal to find a larger outlet to put John Wall Street under that had infrastructure that would allow me to build this thing out. I did not want to uh, take on capital. That was never the idea. I was never looking to like raise, uh, you know, I was never looking to, to uh, you know, take on an investment and build out a sales team. I wanted to go somewhere where uh, all that was in place, where there was a larger brand that I could, you know, kind of capitalize on. And, um, and Sports Illustrated is a great landing spot for me. I'm really excited about it. Um, all right, I'll let you go with this. What does John Wall think of John Wall Street? I'm not sure that John Wall knows about John Wall Street, but I will find <laughs> out for certain on Monday because I am going down as a guest of the Leonces, uh to the Capitals game, and I will go to Wizards shoot around in the morning, and I will find out if uh, if John Wall is aware of John Wall Street and, and what he's... Uh, hopefully he doesn't want a piece of it now. Uh, <laughs> maybe it was better off he didn't know. <laughs> Well, if he's willing to promote it a little bit, I'm happy to bring him in. <laughs> you probably shouldn't have told him that either. Uh, Corey Leff, who is the founder of John Wall Street, it's, very, it's an interesting newsletter and, of course, is, uh, is going to expand now as he's part of the SI family. Thank you so much for joining us, Corey. Appreciate it, Bram. Have a good one. That will do it for us this week. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. 
So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.